This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. The late 1800s, 1891 to be exact. The Northern Atlantic, right off the coast of England, a ship named the Star of the East was hunting whales. Its crew uh, completely engaged in the task of finding whales in those fertile grounds that surrounded what we now know as the United Kingdom. In rough seas, one of its sailors, James Bartley, was thrown overboard as the deck was washed by a big wave. And the crew of the Star of the East witnessed a large sperm whale swallow Bartley. I just said sperm. Nobody laughed. I'm I'm assuming we should be middle schoolers or something. Um, Because he was their friend and because they were hunting whales, they harpooned the whale uh, three times and drug it from that location into port. It was way too large to bring into the ship. And so upon getting it into harbor, the whale was taken to be dissected. And many of the, at that point in time, many of the portions of the whale were used in everything that you can think of. And so its fat was harvested, its internal organs were harvested. And as it got to its stomach, they noticed that it was moving. And inside of its stomach, they found James Bartley alive. The reports that came out afterwards said that his skin, the skin of a sailor that was deeply tanned and weathered, had become white as if he were an albino. His hair that was at once dark was now yellow, and his fingernails had changed to that same hue of yellow. He is said to have been in pretty serious condition for Several weeks later, he would recover and lead what was described as a fairly normal life. Now, we're over a 100 years away from that story. And there is documentation that points to the authenticity of that story. But in recent years, because obviously as Christians and those of us that teach about things in the Bible, we like to be able to tell you about things that offer some sort of validity to what God has done. Um, That story has become very popular. And because it became popular in Christian circles, it also became popular among researchers. And there have been a ton of researchers who have looked into the information that is available about Bartley's experience with the whale. So much so that most of them have discredited the story and it's now widely considered to be an urban myth. 
It leads me to something that I think is very important if we're going to talk about the Bible and take it seriously. We're talking about a story that God tells in Scripture of a man who ran away from God and was swallowed by what the Bible describes as a great fish. I mean, and for too many of us, we either read the Bible very critically, dismissing things like that, or we just turn off our brains and just ingest it as if what we're reading is not really what we're reading. I mean, the Bible tells us that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, a big fish. And we would tell you that whatever the Bible says is true. Whatever the Bible says is true. Now, our capacity to understand what the Bible says isn't always there. And I want to tell you that I think it's important that we realize that we follow a God who is a lot smarter than us, a lot bigger than us, a lot stronger than us, and a lot more capable than us. And if his word says it, then we can accept it as true. That's extremely important for us to know as followers of Jesus. So when the Bible says that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, I believe it. No matter what science proves, no matter what direction it points, you know what's remarkable? is that now we're bordering on almost four millennia of science trying to disprove the, the credible claims of Scripture without any actually hardcore disproving going on. A book that was written, I, I mean, millennia ago, thousands and thousands of years, and it's still standing up. You know, I would tell you that when we deal with God's word, we have to believe that the Bible is without error in its original manuscripts. We have to believe that the Bible doesn't have any errors. What the Bible is pointing us to is what the Bible should be pointing us to. What the Bible is telling us is true. And there are all types of people out there, people that have their own agendas that want to tell us that there are contradictions in the Bible. And there are things that, I mean, just on first glance, they don't look like they jive together. But when we understand what's really being said, we see this beautiful letter that God has written us called Scripture. I'd like to tell you today that when we deal with God's Word, that we, we need to do what Billy Graham decades ago said. That whatever the Bible affirms, we affirm. 
Whatever the Bible affirms. So if the Bible says it's good, we say it's good. If the Bible says it's bad, we say it's bad. If the Bible says you need to draw in and get close to this, this is something that is good for you, we say I want to draw in and be close to that. It's good for me. If the Bible says stay away from that, it's bad. We say, all right, I'm going to stay away from that. It's bad. Whatever the Bible affirms, we affirm. And here's why all of that is so important. Your ability to trust and submit to God's word, your ability to trust and submit to God's word will either enable or handicap your capacity to follow Jesus. Here's here's where we see that in the life of Jonah. Obviously, Jonah is at the beginning of this whole message is spoken to by the heart of God. Go to Nineveh, and he runs from God. But as we dive into the story again, we're going to see that Jonah is now going to again hear from God that Jonah has a really hard time, not following but submitting to God's word because how many of you know that sometimes we can do the right thing with the wrong heart how many of y'all know that do the right thing it's the the action is the right thing but it has the wrong heart behind it and when we do the right thing with the wrong heart it's the wrong thing And so we pick up with Jonah having been vomited out of a great fish that swallowed him. The Bible tells us that he spent three days inside of that fish. That three days he sat inside in the Second chapter of the book of Jonah records a prayer that he prayed where he confessed to God that he was a sinner, that he asked for restoration. He asked for God to deliver him, and God did that through puke, (laughs) through whale vomit. Doesn't sound really appealing. I don't know about you, or but to be puked up by by a big fish just doesn't sound real nice, but that's how God delivered him. And so at the beginning of chapter 3 in the book of Jonah, we find Jonah again. And here's what the Bible says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And then one of the funniest verses in all the Bible, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Duh. <laughs> I mean, he just swallowed me with the whale and vomited me up. Yep, I'm going to do what you ask. All right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. See, it's awesome to know that we serve a God who gives us second chances. As Jonah was vomited out of the fish, most scholars believe he would have been uh, landing 
near the town of Joppa, where he actually traveled south of Israel to gain passageway to Tarshish, which was all the way across the Mediterranean Sea. So when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, it's not as if he's sitting right outside the city. He again was faced with a decision. Are you going to get up and go, or are you going to stay? And Jonah gets up and goes, and it's important to kind of understand what Nineveh was, to really understand this story. Israel was this nation, and as you read through the Old Testament, when it rebelled against God, when its heart got hard towards God, God would use its enemies in a military way to attack and to destroy them so that he could regain their hearts. And to the north of Israel was one of its largest adversaries at this point in time. It was the kingdom or the empire of Assyria. Assyria, like many of the other empires at its time, was a a city-state empire. There were states within that, and Nineveh was one of the largest ones. And so if you think about it, It's as if knowing that we were on the brink of a war, that Russia itself was manning itself to come in and to invade us. God said to you, I want you to go to Moscow and to start a church. Most of us with our national pride that we're Americans, we would say, there's no way I'm going to go, God. And you know what? Hebrews were just as prideful of what they had, just as proud of their nation. And, and, you know, there's definitely probably some influence there in the heart of Jonah for him not wanting to go into one of the largest cities in all of Assyria and proclaim a message that he thinks might not just lead to the judgment and destruction, but may lead to the restoration of those people. But after God gets his attention, he responds to the word of the Lord and he goes. And Jonah begins the trip into the city. And the Bible tells us that after his short trip, he begins to proclaim a message. It's really very simple. The scriptures recorded as this 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In the Hebrew, all he said was five words. That's it. Five words. In 40 days, you're done. That doesn't sound like a hopeful message, does it? What if I came and I visited you and I sat on your front porch and rang the doorbell and you came out and said, hey, Kevin, how you doing? Hey, you got two weeks and you're done. Bye. Right. What would you think? That's harsh. And that's exactly what Jonah proclaimed inside the city of Nineveh. Forty more days. God's going to destroy you. And starting with the lower class, we're dealing with a kind of a, a 
class arrangement of, of nobility and then a working class. Starting with the working class, the people of Nineveh begin to respond to the word of the Lord by repenting, by fasting, by putting on sackcloth and ashes. And the news of the message spreads throughout the city of Nineveh to the point that Jonah is called in to see the king. And in Jonah 3, beginning in verse 6, we see this. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. I want you to notice something in that chapter that I just want to advise you as people who live in a country that most of us love, our United States. If you read Jonah chapter 3, The repentance does not start with the king. It ends with the king. The change in that city does not start with the king. It ends with the king. It actually works its way up. And if our nation is ever going to really change, it's not going to work its way from the top down. It's going to work its way from the bottom up. That means we repent. We change. We become the America that God would call us to be. One of our founding principles is that government derives its power from the people. And we see that at work in Jonah 3. Because the king is the last one that we see to repent. He orders a fast throughout the whole city in God sees the repentance and responds to the people of Nineveh as they repent. You know, I would tell you today, when we think about God's word, the most important thing about God's word is how we respond to it. I mean, really, Think about it. We can argue about authorship. We can argue about dating. We can argue about purpose and all that. But you want to know what the most important thing about the Bible is? Is how we respond to it. How do we respond to the word of the Lord? Most of us think about the Bible like Pac-Man. Like I just want to eat more. just want to eat more. just want to eat more. And there's always more to eat. But the Bible changes us when we respond to it. Let's look back at, at this chapter. I mean, Nineveh responds to God's judgment how? They don't respond by deflecting and blaming other people. They don't respond to God's judgment by making excuses. They respond by repenting. And it's not a nice message. It's not kind. 
God's not even leaving that window open, but there's a hint that we see that they're just praying, maybe God, maybe you'll take care of us. Maybe you'll re- be kind to us. Maybe you'll forgive us. If that's an option, I'm going to repent. You know, when we have someone that cares about us, that loves us, and they have the guts to have that difficult conversation with us, even if it feels harsh and judgmental, that truth is an opportunity for us to respond. That means when people come to you and say, hey, I see this in you. I love you, but I see this in you. You're better than that. We have the same opportunity that the Ninevites did, and they responded with repentance. You know, God responds to Nineveh's repentance with mercy. He gives them mercy. He says, yes, I told you I was going to destroy you, but you know, because you repent, because your hearts have turned away, I am going to stay that judgment. You know how Jonah responds to this? Jonah responds to God's mercy with anger. Jonah responds to God's mercy with anger. Look at what the Bible says in Jonah 4.1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Jonah gets angry because God responds to the repentance of a city who turned to him. Can I tell you something? That maybe in all of our lives, there is nothing more important than how we respond. Let me give you a little preview. Next week we start a brand new series called This Beautiful Noise, looking at worship. You want to know what worship is? Worship is how we respond. You want to know what your greatest God is? The thing that you respond to the most. And Nineveh responded to God. God gave them a second chance through an unwilling prophet named Jonah. And we need to realize that God gave Jonah a second chance, that personal second chance given to Jonah when he was vomited out of that whale or that great fish, that second chance was wholly in place so that God could send Jonah and give a second chance to the city of Nineveh. I want to tell you something that's important for you to know, that what God does to you, he intends to do through you. There's probably no greater place that I see that in my personal life than with my children. 
Because we live in a culture that wants to turn our kids into prizes and trophies and set them up on the mantle and look at them and talk about how awesome they are. But you want to know what they are? They're gifts that I get to steward for a little while. And when Adelaide was born, even before that when she was still in the belly, my prayer for her has been, God, take her and use her as a mighty tool for your kingdom. Because she is not mine. So when God gives you grace, and you know you've blown it, you don't deserve to be right with God, when God gives you grace, it's so that you can look at people who have done you wrong and give them grace. When God forgives you your sin, It's not just so that we can experience the blessing of being forgiven. It's so that we can understand that, you know what, I have failed and God has forgiven me and so I need to be able to look at the people who have failed me and forgive them the same way. See, God gives us second chances because he knows we're not perfect. He knows we're going to make mistakes, but God gives us second chances because he knows that we need to learn from that because other people are going to fail us and it is his plan that we live with grace and mercy that we give second chances as well. But you know, there are some barriers that exist between us and a second chance. One of those is that far too often we write the end of the story and predict the outcome of giving someone a second chance. We say, hey, you know what? If I give you a second chance, you're going to abuse it. You're going to abuse me. I'm just enabling your problem. If I give you a second chance, all you're going to do is walk all over me. And you just wrote the story for them. Think about it. God's looked at you, forgiven you, leveraged a brand new relationship that is on a platform of healing and restoration knowing that within just a very short span of time you're going to blow it with him he doesn't attempt to write the end of the story for you we don't need to do that for others one of the most practical ways that I can talk to you about that is that many of you love our church and have invited your friends and family to come and to be a part of our church. And it's not uncommon to invite some folks five, six, seven times and then say no. Well, what happens after that? We think in the back of my mind, I need to invite my brother. Nope, I'm not going to do that because every time I invite him, he says no. You know what? You just answered the question for him. It's far too easy to try to predict the outcome because when we do that, we're not allowing God's grace and mercy to actually come in and work. Another reason that we refuse to give second chances is that we don't want to re-gift the grace and mercy 
that we've been given. We don't want to re-gift that. We don't want to wrap that present up and give it because we have cherished it so much for our own self. But really, God's grace is intended to be like that fruitcake that you've passed around for the last four years at family functions. It's intended to be regifted. I would tell you this that giving a second chance is the right response to getting a second chance. That when we get that second chance, when we look inside our lives and realize that we're broken and a mess and God looks at us and gives us a second chance, we should look at our other relationships that are messed up and be able to look at them and go, I was given one, you deserve one too. I want to take a moment and look at what Jesus said in Matthew 12 about Jonah. And about this situation. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment. With this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. In the crowd, as Jesus, as Jesus said that, were a group that we know as the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders. They were the people who got it right. All the to-do lists were all checked off. They had it all down to a science. But Jesus says that the men of Nineveh in the end will stand and will judge them. Why? It's quite simple. Because the men of Nineveh responded humbly to the word of God. They were willing not just to do what it said, but to submit their hearts to God as well. To do the right thing for the right reason. See, at the end of the book of Jonah, it ends in this sad way with Jonah having walked himself outside the city into the desert and sat himself down wishing to die. Because... As he put it, God, you did just as I knew you would. You're kind and compassionate. Let's not be the kind of people that hold back a second chance from the people who need it. Let's be the kind of people who give second chances freely because the Bible is very clear that it is God's grace. It is the kindness of the Lord, as the book of Romans puts it, that leads us to repentance. Let's pray. God, today, God, we just, we just want to be 
the kind of people that give out second chances the way that you've asked us to. We want to be freely giving in the grace and mercy that you have given. We want to be the kind of people that re-gift that, that share it with people who desperately need it because that kindness may be the one barrier that stands between them and eternity and we don't want to be that person. So use us to love people with the kind of love that only you can give. With nobody looking around, everybody's head bowed, eyes closed, nobody's stirring. I'm going to ask you to think about this. Is there somebody in your life right now that needs a second chance? Is there somebody in your life right now that needs a second chance? Maybe you've known about it for a while and you've just been holding back. You're not, not wanting to let go of the bitterness and hurt. Maybe you've been afraid of the outcome. But for whatever reason today, for whatever reason, maybe today God's asking you to give them a second chance. If you're here today and you know right now there's somebody in your life that you need to give a second chance to, There's somebody that needs to be forgiven, somebody that you need to let that second chance that God's given you flow outward and give it to them. If that's somebody in your life, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up right now. If there's somebody right now in your life, you know, hey, I need to give a second chance to somebody. That's me. Maybe maybe today you're in here. And when I ask you that question, it seems so far away because you know you need a second chance. You know right now, if you sit back and look at your life, you feel like, I've blown it, I've messed it up, I've ruined it all. But the God of second chances can take you out of the storm and the sea, even using a great fish. And it might look a lot like puke right now. But he can give you a second chance. If that's you, and you would say today, hey, you know what? I'm that person. I need a second chance. I need to get things right between me and God. Would you raise your hand right now? Awesome. So God, today we just, God, we humbly bow before you. And we thank you that you are a God of second chances. That you're willing to give us a second chance and let that second chance flow through us to other people. By your grace and mercy, come and lead us and God has strengthened us for your name's sake. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.